wait, 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 wait. This is my podcast, and I do introductions for a living. I don't need the big voice. Uh, I can handle it from here. Hit the music. What's going on, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Matt Fargo Show. I am Matt Fargo. If you could only see me right now and how I'm recording this, it's like my childhood of making forts with sheets and pillows and blankets and my life, my professional career, colliding in order to make audio sound good. And I think maybe we're all going through that in some way of doing things and doing our job, making our home life doing that a little bit different, but um, I digress. It's the way things are right now, and happy, though, you've chosen to uh, stop by on this edition. Really excited for my guest today. It's uh, one of the great uh, Pittsburgh Steelers running backs, Merrill Hodge, uh, seven years with the Steelers, and uh, really had a tremendous broadcast career, too, 22 years at ESPN. Um, looking forward to talking with him. And speaking of broadcasters and people that may go into broadcasting after their career, a new report says that Drew Brees will be with NBC at the end of his career. So that has yet to be determined. This could be his final season or he could play more. Uh, head coach Sean Payton had mentioned that there was a possibility that this could be his last year, and then he called himself a big dummy. Um, saying that uh, that might not be the case. So whenever Drew Brees does decide to retire, the reports are that he will join the NBC sports crew. So um, that will be interesting to see where he fits in there. You have to wonder that uh, Al Michaels, the play-by-play for the Sunday night games with Chris Collinsworth, you have to imagine that he's kind of on the the end of his career. And what a career it's been. Uh, He's he is my favorite broadcaster. Um, he has one of the best calls in all of sports on the Miracle on Ice. Do you believe in miracles call? Ironically, he had only called two hockey games prior to to calling and making that call. But I think uh, I just enjoy his calls of uh, a Sunday night football. And I know uh, ESPN was trying to make a deal to get him to come over and, and do Monday night because the ESPN side of things, boy, they struggled with announcers and replacing Mike Tirico, who went to NBC, I, they really have struggled with uh, finding the answer at uh, who's going to be broadcasting uh, Monday Night Football. And I think that they're still going to have some some things moving around. And you know that Peyton Manning has been thrown around and is a name that's tossed around. I know that their ideal situation was to bring in Al Michaels, <laughs> bring in Al Michaels, and uh, also have Peyton Manning do the color. Well, that was ESPN's ideal, but uh, NBC shut that down, and uh, rightfully so. I think uh, I think Al Michaels probably is going to end his career at NBC. And Tony Romo getting a big contract just recently with CBS to stick around with them. I know ESPN was trying to pry them away from them. And um, the, the carousel that is the broadcast world uh, of former athletes continues. And ironically, my guest today... I spent 22 years at ESPN after uh, playing in the NFL and Merrill Hodge. 
but something that I wanted to do on this edition of the podcast and future episodes is to to give you something to maybe check out that you haven't seen. Um, I'm going to try to search and curate um, some different things that, like I said, that isn't maybe mainstream, uh, that maybe not hasn't hit the news yet or hasn't hit uh, your your Twitter feed. But this uh, for this first one of uh, Yin's got to check this out is Ryan Sagier, current Pittsburgh Steeler, still um, a Pittsburgh Steeler, and obviously we all know his story and what he's gone through and the incredible uh, rehabilitation process that he's been going through um, and been able to to overcome. But UPMC and Ryan Shazier teamed up for Ryan Shazier's 50 Phenoms, and it's Ryan telling and help telling a story about someone else in our Pittsburgh neighborhood. I'm in, doing this in Pittsburgh. I'm a Pittsburgh guy. Uh, but telling their story and what they've overcome, um, there's been some really cool and uplifting uh, video stories about these uh, different people from all walks of life that have overcome some really unsurmountable odds um, that I've just really enjoyed. And I think we all kind of need that right now of, of some kind of pick me up on, you know, maybe it's, it doesn't, the story doesn't start good, but all of them really are uplifting and motivating in a, in a way or two. So um, check that out. Google, just Google it. It's really simple. Ryan Shazier's 50 Phenoms. UPMC did such a good job with it. And uh, that's the latest thing that I've kind of been, you know, if you're you're getting sick of binge watching Netflix, maybe watch a, an episode or two of those to uh, to pass the time. Well, when we come back, it will be Merrill Hodge joining me on this edition of the Matt Fargo Show. Stick around. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest today played seven seasons as running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, winning the team's Ironman Award twice, covered the NFL for 22 years as an analyst at ESPN, and currently an inspirational speaker and author. Merrill Hodge joins me on the Matt Fargo Show. Merrill, thanks so much for taking some time out. My pleasure, Matt. How are you uh, handling the quarantining that we're all dealing with right now? Well, (laughs) um, within the restrictions that exist um i'm fortunate i've always had a gym in my home i've i mean i think i this is the order of my house um gym's one kitchen's two bedroom's three my office is four so i mean that's how passionate i'm about having a gym in my house i just i've always been like that so i'm lucky that i have that so i i get up every day and train and i have about 350 have so i go spend a lot of time out there shooting my bow and just hanging out and our golf course you can walk it um there's no amenities no people there so i go walk nine holes a day so by the time i do all that i have a full day so it's going okay right now but i'm no different than everybody else i'm ready to go back to you know the the routine and purpose and the life i had before and i know everybody's feeling um when you're not productive, you know, there's, you know, that starts to weigh on you. So I'm trying to send some messages out to people that, you know, there's 365 days in a year. 
and we've I've been I, I guess some 30 days thus far, but maybe and hopefully in another less than 30 days we'll be done with it. So got to kind of keep the focus right, help people that um, help each other really through the process because we can all use a little jolt in the arm, a little little positivity and energy and laughing every now and then, finding peace throughout the day and just keeping each other going until we get through this because we're going to get through it and the light is at the end of the tunnel. It's just these last weeks are usually the toughest, you know, and uh, it's not when things are going well that are easy for people or people need people. It's when things are tough. And so now's when we really need to rally together. Yeah, no question. Uh, I think that, you know, thanks to social media and the FaceTiming and things like that, we can still have some of that social interaction. You know, it happens 25 years ago. You know, we're just relying on phone calls. But yeah. Um, yeah. what is the one thing that you you miss the most since everything changed that maybe you didn't realize that that you that you enjoyed doing or could do? And, and now uh, with the roles that are in place, you can't. Um, well, I'm going to say this. I, I don't think that. I've actually always really appreciated where um, what I do um, right now, which is I do a lot of speaking throughout the country, um, uh, inspirational, motivational speaking. And I'm telling you, I've always loved that. I've never complained about it. I've never um, I don't regret having to go do it. I I love doing it. But that being said, being removed from it just I mean, it heightens my commitment to it and my passion for it um and i think that that you know i've it's funny i've had a lot of people reach out to me um from all kinds of walks of life and everybody's kind of doing the same thing i mean they they just want to get back to work you know they want to get back to the routine that they had you know the world that they they remembered and but the one thing that kept standing out like everybody wants to go to work like you know most people are dreading going to work and now everybody's yeah. like they would be a-okay if they said you go to work tomorrow and then then that runs a whole litany of problems where people you know really lost jobs because of this so trying to get people back and get things started it's not going to be easy once this once this is lifted but the one thing i have learned and on situations like this or others like it if you do nothing about your circumstances don't be shocked that nothing happens so as soon as this is over you you know we all are gonna have to take take action towards whatever our circumstances are you know getting our jobs and lives back in order or you know finding an uh a new life because you know that listen that might be a part of what i'm dealing with here in a little bit you know you never know how things are going to turn out when it's all over there's going to be probably a lot of changes we can't predict or think of but um when that happens or if that happens then we'll deal with i'll deal with them at that time i don't worry about them now or try to make something up that's not there i'll just deal with them if they need to be once once this clears but i am trying to put myself in a position to be ready you know to get after things no matter what um no matter when this clears well, I, you know, I think so, as someone that overcomes so much um, throughout your lifetime, just the obvious of, of making it to the NFL out of Idaho and being able to do what you've been done at ESPN and since then, but even uh, be overcoming cancer and um, having the things that you've gone through in your life overcome, how do you remain so positive through all of that? And then, you know, because that's kind of the nature of life in a lot of ways where, 
you know, one thing happens and it's like, well, if I can battle through this, I can get through the next thing. And then there is a next thing. And then there's a thing after that. How, how have you been able to remain so positive through all of those things? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's the words find a way. Um, and I, you know, I just did a thing that we're posting tomorrow about that. You know, those words to me at a, at a, as I, at a 12 year, when I was a 12 year old boy, um, actually pinning a goal up on the, my, my corkboard wall in my bedroom that said, I will play in the national. I started to revisit everything people would say to me at that time, like, Oh, how hard that is. The odds. Oh my gosh, the odds are against you. And just nothing was ever positive. And what struck me, you know, when I was told I had cancer, um, was there a moment where all I, all I thought about was chemotherapy and dying. You bet there was, there was days of that. Um, when I was told I had to have open heart surgery, was there like this, oh my gosh, I mean, shoot, you can only survive so many things in life and can open heart surgery is a little different than cancer. Cause once you pick that date, I mean, if it doesn't go right, that dates the date. And so all of those things, if I, if you let yourself get consumed in how hard it is, uh, the danger or the negativity of it just all the things that can sap your entire energy, you're going to change nothing about your circumstances. And that's where those words find a way have inspired me to always take action, to do something about my circumstances, rather I change them or I need to fix them or I need to accomplish them. And it takes me down a much better path mentally. You know, I focus on the things that I have control of. And when I do things in that manner, the energy that comes from that, the excitement that comes from that, the change of heart and change of mind and the whole focus, it completely changes. Now, how I do it now is much different than I did it, or it's much easier now than age 12. At age 12, you, it's easy to get sidetracked and consumed. And, but the more I have practiced doing that, and ultimately what I mean is, I've practiced at controlling my mind, not my mind controlling me and putting things up on a wall where I can see them daily is an important part of that process. Um, executing things that I tried and I can control whatever circumstance I'm dealing with. That gives me, that empowers me, that excites me. It gives me energy. So I do those processes and steps towards all those circumstances that have come my way. And it's just, um, it's helped no matter, you know, even though I've things that have added up and once you think one's over, you think, okay, nothing that bad could ever happen again. Then it, something else does. It's actually, I've become stronger in dealing with those things than weaker or over or, or succumbing to, to issues. So try to help people realize that they have the exact same tools, your mental and your spiritual we all have a, a powerful mind and a spirit. It's how we develop it, how we train it to work for us, not against us. And if you can keep training yourself to do those and learn to do those things, uh, you, know, you can really change all your circumstances and do incredible things in life um, that are empowering and uplifting. You know, obviously, uh, difficulties for all of us in life are a relative. You know, the, the person that lightning hit and struck their front tree that could be the you know the end of the world in a in a really down day for them 
and obviously if you compare that to anything you've gone through and those types of things, it's, it's in comparison, uncomparable, but it's obviously relative to the individual person. Do you struggle with that sometimes knowing what you've even personally gone through and, and the trials and tribulations that you, you just have to appreciate life because of there's been more than one instance that it could have been taken from you. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, if, if I actually had not been diagnosed with cancer, I'm probably dead right now. And the reason I say that is because um, on my last pet cat scan, they identified a enlarged aorta. Just happened to see it. Um, now, I even said, I go, what's your aorta? <laughs> the guy goes, that's your heart muscle. And I was like, oh, okay. I go, so my thinking was it was like a muscle. I'm like, well, of course it's bigger than most. I go, I've been training my whole life. I would expect it to be a little bigger. And he said, well, that's not that kind of muscle. Anyway, long story short, I mean, it ends up sending me to open heart surgery. And they just repaired it. But the, po the point is, without being diagnosed with cancer, I'm not doing pet cat scans. There's just no reason for me to. I've never had a symptom that would relate to the enlarged aorta I had. And it probably was stemmed from how I trained and um, how I worked out is probably what caused it. So the only thing I'm going to ever know about that is in my autopsy. You know, so um, I'm not saying that everything has a silver lining like that. But then again, it's really how you approach everything, you know, um, and you, how you view things. Um, and if you're always comparing and judging, you're never going to be happy. You know, um, it, when I was in the NFL, there was, I remember one of my teammates was like, man, I need to be the highest pick in the NFL. And I was like, well, what makes you, I mean, why do you have to be that? Um, and his, his reasoning for that was so that he, could validate that he was the best and i was like well i go geez like, i'm gonna tell you this first of all where what you're getting paid right now there's probably um 50 eight of them that make less than you <laughs> you're already in the in the i go so you're looking at like the top two or three and then there are so many variables there it doesn't mean he's not the best or won't be the best uh, or isn't the best no. but he was putting that all on a on a monetary um, value, but I'm like, what was interesting, he was only focusing on a few people ahead of him, not the 58 or 60 behind him. <laughs> right. like, you got a lot more behind you than you got in front of you. And, <laughs> but my point is like, yeah, that became such a focus and aware that it was like affecting how he played. And I was like, wow, just, he's, he's eroding himself over really something that's irrelevant, you know, but, you know, that's where I get, do you control your mind or does your mind control you? And the more we learn how to control our mind and have it work for us, the better chance we have of having success. Man, I really was interested in, in asking you this uh, just because I, it, you know, was really a hot button issue uh, just a few years ago. And, um, you know, it still comes up every time and again. But uh, the, the idea of concussions and what it has meant um, for your career uh, when you played and now where we've come and where we've gotten to to this point I feel like there's a lot of people that uh, you know are striking down and thinking that you know high school football should it be 
um, happening because of it. And then there, there's another side that says that the game is safer than it's ever been. Um, interested to get your take on on something that you know firsthand. Well, first of all, the people who say you shouldn't play f- contact sports or football at any age level, you need to ask them and show me what the physical evidence and scientific evidence of you to say that is. If you have that, present it. Don't 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 tell me you you read something in the paper or you heard something on the news. Okay, I was in television for 22 years. I cannot tell you of the ignorance and the deliberate ignorance that exists in journalism. So <laughs> do not ever um, concede to somebody who is sitting there going, well, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't. Then ask them why. But tell me why. Show me why that, that, that there's going to be problems with our kids. Because what they're saying is you have, first of all, if they even use the word subconcussion, you stop them right there. And you go, okay, then before you go any further, can you give me the scientific definition? Can you therefore back it up with the scientific literature? Because if there's a scientific definition, just so we know, there's a scientific literature to back that. You just can't make a definition up without having the literature. And most importantly, what is the threshold you're using to measure that? Well, nobody will be able to answer those things because they don't exist. They are made up. They are science fiction. And for, for somebody to say that our brains are jiggling around in our skull, then they have that is grotesque incompetence of how we are truly structured. Because if you look at how our brain is secured from the dirt to the plasticity to the skull structure, there is no room for it to jiggle around. Now, can it move with a massive impact? Sure. But that impact has to be extraordinary. Every time you have a collision, I don't care if it's jumping on a trampoline or riding on a roller coaster ride, because all of those would be variables if that were true, that your brain's supposedly jiggling around. There's not a person on this planet that wouldn't be vulnerable or dead. So when they speak, they speak completely contrary to what their science says, which is really what drove me to write the book. Um, And that's a majority of what has taken place. Instead of people understanding, and I'm talking about parents that are so worried about their kids playing contact sports or getting hurt. Okay, the environments that exist today and should exist in all, all of you sports is the best we've ever had in the history of sports. You know, as long as all those things are put into place, the proper equipment, proper instruction, proper fitting, and the proper protocols if your son or daughter were to have a head trauma, and then the care before the return to play. It's the best and safest we've ever had. However, these things are things that do affect our kids cognitively and emotionally later in life if they have. Now, it's called they, they have a, what's called an ACE score. But these type of things that are trauma, there is physical evidence of it. There's scientific evidence of it. If you experienced divorce, bullying, death, even what we're dealing with today with this coronavirus, because of the changing elements, it can affect kids. It can be emotional for a lot of people. Jobs can be lost. There can be a whole host of things that take place from this that will affect kids. And if you don't help kids through that process, they can have behavioral issues later in life. That's an absolute fact. Those are true things that can be um, impacts um, or trauma that has happened to our kids that affects them later in life. Playing contact sports, there's none of that. There's not one piece of scientific literature that says if you, your son or daughter play sports at any given age, 
they're going to have issues later in life. And one of the most important things, I think, to make it all understandable, the brain, 90% of the brain's critical development is done by age five. It's not fully developed till age 25. So why in the world is it okay to start playing contact sports at age 12? And who picked that number out? And I'll tell you why they picked that number out, because they didn't want to, and I say they, Boston University, didn't want to weed into high school and college and the NFL because there's more of a, a unit there. They're, they're more unified, whereas youth football is kind of fragmented. Yeah. It's all over the place. But something magically happens at age 12 to 13 in that range. Puberty hits. Kids go from 105 to 165 in a matter of months. I've coached kids that were in diapers and then the next year they're shaving and i'm like what happened <laughs> i mean and so now you're telling me it's okay to start playing contact sports with a you're bigger now you're strong you're faster the hit harder and the contact is more severe i coached for 20 some years from ages 8 to 38 i know the difference from age 12 i know the difference from youth football to high school to college but my point is there's development of the brain from 12 to 19 that's critical why isn't that important? Why doesn't anybody know about that or mention that? And if there was all this problems with playing contact sport, it's not playing on a football field. Was it hard for you or was it a pretty, uh, for no pun intended, a, a no-brainer on when you wanted to, when you decided to step away from the NFL, knowing that if you continued to play, you could cause more, more, more issues? Did, how, how did that situation, what did, what did you just end up deciding then? Well, I was one of the first group of players ever to do cognitive testing. I had a baseline when I was playing. Now, that baseline didn't get put into play um, because I was playing for the Chicago Bears, who had no baseline testing, who didn't even have a neurologist on, on staff. Um, and they allowed me to return to play after having a severe uh, concussion on a Monday night five days later. And I got cleared over the phone. Okay, so 1994, just that just a just a level of care and where everything was at that time and i'm just giving you the facts i'm not pointing fingers going it's because that's all they really knew at that time even the steelers at that time three years into it were developing data and information to how this tool works and what's the best way for it to work so they're still working on it too you know the bears actually right after this happened to me in my career they became one of the first teams in nfl history to make it mandatory versus voluntary. So what I'm getting at is when when things happen and mistakes are made, if you keep making them over and over, that's the problem. Unless you make things better and you make it you improve the environment, which is the goal with everybody. That's why we're trying to my passion is for making environments better and safer for our kids, not rob them of the opportunity to play sports. But actually that that baseline test question I went back to take that test again, and Joe Maroon actually ended up retiring me. I wanted to keep playing. I really didn't understand what I understand today. So thank goodness I had that test. I didn't do well in it. It was two weeks later, and I still couldn't get close to where my baseline was. And with that type of trauma and fallout, he just felt at that time I couldn't play anymore. Now, with what exists today? I probably would have been able to return to play based on the treatment that they have and the care that um, that exists for um, people with head trauma. 
Well, I think it's kind of interesting some of the points that you brought up. And I, I think a lot of them can almost be traced back to what we're experiencing right now as far as the media and what is fact and what is fiction with what we're dealing with right now, because I think there's right. a ton of misinformation out there. And like uh, such with the concussions issues, how do you how did you view the movie? I know that you have a relationship with Dr. Maroon. How did you re- review uh, concussion and what well, was your viewpoint in the movie? When you take something in a jar like they did and they jiggle it around, if that's actually what Dr. Amalu actually really thinks the brain is like, you better be very weary that he knows anything what he's talking about. The brain is nothing like that. It is so secure from dura and plasticity, which we all talked about. Its ability to move is very difficult. It doesn't sit there and jiggle around. And in that movie, the most disturbing thing, do you know what Mike Webster died of? If you watch the movie? I always ask if people go, I'll watch the movie, what do you think? I go, what did Mike Webster die of? Here's what they made you think. He died from head trauma. Is BS. Mike Webster had a stent in his heart. He died of heart failure. Mike Webster had a whole bunch of issues physically. Um, when you looked at Mike Webster's brain, in fact, when we got ready to do the book, a lot of the scientists, Dr. Cummings, who was he's on my book and did the, wrote the book with me, they looked at the brain, and a lot of those scientists like, that was just a normal aging 54-year-old brain. Mike Webster did not die from brain injuries. Okay, and Mike Webster's spiraling out of control. Mike had, there was a whole host of things going in the wrong way for Mike at that time. And everybody can identify with this. You're perfect away. Doesn't yeah. it feel different when your purpose is not there and you can't do the same thing? Now, now we all know that it's going to get back, and you know, and we have that hope with it. Imagine somebody doesn't have that hope and it's taken away, which happened to Mike. Once Mike wasn't playing, he really didn't get any traction in anything else, and it started to spiral for him. Well, I think everybody now can identify with how things can go south fast when those things happen to you. And it is no different from a guy who played in the National Football League. It can happen to everybody or anybody. Because I call, I, I remember doing writing my book, calling out, into the called the producer um and the people who directed that movie and i was like you know why would you present why he died what is your and that, are they a whole host of things that they did the only thing they got right is the city and a few names that's about the only thing they did right they kept saying to me well we have artistic choice so all they got to do is get a few names right a few areas and then after that it's irrelevant they do not have to tell the truth they do not have to have the facts correct and that's just like and but people believe it if, you know, people are uh, gullible. I mean, people are easily, yeah. I always say it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled and they were fooled. And I think that, you know, that circles back around to, to what we're dealing with again right now. When do you expect the NFL to return? You think that they're going to be off schedule? Uh, what's going to affect you? It's going to affect them. It's going to affect everybody. How it's going to affect them. I can't really tell you, you know, if you can sit there and say, listen, it's going to be over, uh, you know, we'll be get kind of get back to normal or start going back to normal routines in May, then I think you see very little effect on them. Um, but if it gets pumped into like June and July, you know, and you're still not kind of allowed to get back to normal, th- then I think you see um, some changes and alterations. But if this thing kind of gets back to normal to the next 30 to 45 days, I, I guess they're going to have to make some adjustments because they've missed some things. But overall, I think it affects the young players and, you know, teams that are kind of starting over, new coaches like Carolina Panthers. 
more than anybody because they kind of got robbed of chances to get together like they usually get. But um, uh, the longer it goes, the more adjustments they will make. The earlier we get through this, the less adjustments I think you'll see. I mean, some of the even medical experts within the NFL are saying until we're in a situation where we're right now, if someone has it, that person and anyone around them has to be quarantined where that that future lies as far as when that is not the case, when that is no longer the case, that's when team sports are going to be allowed to go. And there's a lot of uh, feeling that we're a lot further away than, you know, maybe the um, the stay at home orders and stuff like that are, are are lifted. But maybe the the it seems like to me that pro sports and concerts, big events like that with a lot of people are going to be the last thing to return us to normal. Well, I would agree with that. And, you know, those those guidelines and restrictions are going to be are going to play a, a big role, you know, in in how and how it goes forward. Now, you played uh, with uh, two coaches in Pittsburgh that uh, after this fall will uh, both be in the Hall of Fame as Bill Cower will get inducted. Uh, what do you remember about those days? Uh, obviously, uh, some some memorable times in your career. Well, they're right where they should belong. They're right. They're right where they belong. Both are Hall of Famers. Um, they did it differently. Um, Chuck Noll was the greatest man I've ever met. Uh, he was the greatest leader, teacher of life and football. And Bill was like playing for your brother that you admired. And a he he was a he was a master motivator, but a big time supporter. I mean. Um, he had your back and he believed in you and you wanted to play for him. And I don't know that I could give any coach any higher praise than I want to play for him. Because ultimately, like I said, I've coached for a long time. If you can get if you can get them to play for you, you know, along with play for themselves and each other and forget about themselves. I mean, if you can buy that, you get more out of players than David know exists. And that's what Bill Cower could do. He um he had my back. I loved playing for him. Um, I wish I'd played for him longer, um, but I was grateful I got to play for him. And Pittsburgh is very lucky, and they, they both guys are right where they belong. Honestly, I love everything in that city. I think it's the greatest entrance in to any city in the country. Okay. Listen, head trauma and all of the 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 footers of all of that start in Western Pennsylvania. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. It's just yeah. it's a fabulous city. It's fabulous people. Um, and I'm I am very lucky and grateful I got to play there and um, have fans like that. When uh, you you decided to retire and went through that, what was the process? Did ESPN call you? Did you call them? What were, did you have? Did you think you had a future in broadcasting? Been, uh, well, actually, Mr. Rooney gave me my first my first chance at broadcasting. He had me. Um, he hired me to do to be in the booth with Myron Cope and Bill Hillgrove. I was the first player to ever be in the booth for the Pittsburgh Steelers as a color analyst. And nobody would know that because really when I got there, Myron Cope was not happy about it. And they just, they just wouldn't let me talk. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I, I was up there like watching a tennis match between Bill and Myron. My head was going back and forth trying to find a place to fit in. Um, and then I was doing college. I'd help launch college football for ESPN. And, they had some uh, some situation that happened on the NFL side, and they asked me if I wanted to go work on the NFL full time. And I'm like, oh yeah. So I quit 
I quit doing the college football I was doing and the Steelers and started full-time with the ESPN uh, covering the NFL. Now, I've worked with some athletes that have just come out of some professional leagues and then gone on to broadcasting, and there's so many resources to, to help that transition. I have to imagine that there weren't many things set up when you went into broadcasting to, to help you. So, so how did you manage that, and maybe who did you lean on that, that helped you when you were first starting out in broadcasting? I had great people within the industry. Um, my producers, Greg Cosell, Jerry Madelon, um, Ron Jaworski, Stuart Scott, Susie Culber. I mean, I learned so much from all of them. And that's how I did it. To your point, there was no help. It was sink or swim. You know, I mean, they threw you out there and they gave you they gave you a year and an option deal. And why they did that is because, like, if you could do it, great. If you can't, we'll get somebody else. Would you, would you go back to broadcasting? Oh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I'm passionate about it. I absolutely love it. Would you be interested in doing more games as far as broadcasting more games? Uh, or were you more pride to the, to the studio role when you're at ESPN? Um, I like the studio role. I like the studio role. Um, I, uh, um, I just loved it. I love doing the studio and I like to be able to really, um, and my job was to watch our matchup show. You had to watch tape. You had to watch, the tape that so okay we talked about brainwash the book okay you can't watch i always say this 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 is the time of year i always use this line tv lies and highlights really lie you can't watch tv and think you know how a college player plays and how he'll transition to the nfl there's no way you can watch it on tv and i don't care if you won a heisman i don't care if you played for florida or alabama or lsu i don't care about that where you play is not as important as how you play and the only way you can do that is study them on tape. And the my job and role at ESPN was on our matchup show is we had to watch all the tape of all the games that were played on Sunday. So I start watching tape on Monday. I tape a show Friday. And it takes me till Friday to watch all of that tape. It takes, you know, we, we kind of laugh. You know, you spend 60, 70 hours watching tape because you had to cover the whole <laughs> league. And yeah. but that's the only way you could tell really the honest truth about a player is really the only way um, about a team. And so if your evaluation of some of mine can be, you know, people, Oh, you don't like him. Cause it's, it's, it's just, it's the truth. What's what the tape says, you know, you can say it's harsh. I mean, um, but the tape does not lie. And what I have done for some 40 years, I, my evaluations of players and listen, most, most of them are good. It's just when you run into somebody that's not a very good football player and they're not going to play well at the NFL, like a Tim Tebow, you just take heat for that because he was so great in Florida. I go, well, that's, right. he's not playing in Florida anymore. Okay. He's going to be playing in the NFL and they're a whole different world there. Okay. And there's a different skill set that is required there that you get away with in college. But I love that aspect of it. And um, I love, I still do it now. So um, I'm still part of it. With what I do, with I actually do some stuff with the Steelers, so I still love doing it and have access to tape and and love the evaluation process. What do you uh, What do you make of the Steelers coming into to the season twenty twenty, having been back, and maybe you know they they seem like they have the pieces on defense. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, obviously the the big addition from last year, but it seems like they have that nucleus back that that certainly could uh, be a contender again this year can play the way they play uh, because the offense let them down um, 
and that's why teams win championships. Did the Steelers would have won Super Bowl? All right, so that that, that whoever says that, then tell them to show me the the one game that the defense played the entire game. If they have that, then they're gonna have some good evidence. Now, listen, when number seven comes back, seven's a, I mean, hey, this is a Hall of Famer game changer. You know, if he comes back healthy, that completely changes the scope of the Steelers' opportunities. If you go back and look at them, you know. Their offense just listen. They were they were dealing with what looked like majority of the year like a preseason team in a lot yeah. of ways. You know they have so many like people. Um, the only thing good about that is there was nobody in that huddle aside from that offensive line, which you needed to be. <laughs> That's who you really want to have, you know, um, experience uh, with. Is none of them had ever had any, had any experience in there. So when they stepped in the huddle, it wasn't like there was an expectation, and everybody had, and there was some problems, you know. So they were all like, "Hey, we're all my first time here too. I've only been playing three games, so hey, let's go do it." But that it caught up to them. I just I just didn't have anything to match what their defense did with seven back. You're clearly going to have that, um, and you know, you, you know, people stay healthy. You know, Juju wasn't healthy. You know, James wasn't healthy. You get those guys healthy. Shoot, you got yeah, no uh, you got good shot. You got good shots. Anybody? Last thing for you. Um, yeah, it's something that I've been doing on most of these episodes of the of the show. Um, a lot of uh, people I have on are, are from Pittsburgh or uh, spent a time in Pittsburgh. So when you're here or when you were here, uh, where do you go? When you need to go get something to eat, where's the, where's the must stop to place uh, for mail to pick something up to eat? Oh, I got a couple of man off the hook out in the North Hills is um, awesome. I mean, Cavill Grill, I I hit a lot. Um, DJ's Ribs out in Weirton, that's about a thirty minute ride. They might be the best ribs I've ever tasted, and that includes Kansas City. Um, so I can't narrow it down to one. They've got a lot of <laughs> uh, Rico's. I used to go to Rico's all the time, man. So Rico's the tiny rest. That was a, a beautiful place too. So oh, all good stuff, uh, Merrill. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Uh, we appreciate it, and some really great uh, sides of maybe sides of the coin that you don't get to hear the argument on the other side of as much. So we we appreciate your insight, man. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, Merrill Hodge joins us. We'll be back on the Matt Fargo Show to wrap things up right after this. Welcome back to wrap this edition of the Matt Fargo Show up. Thanks to Merrill Hodge again for joining me. Some really interesting stuff and aside of this argument of concussions that we really don't hear too much about. Uh, as a society, I think we tend to err on the side of caution. Certainly we're experiencing that now with everything that Corona has brought on. But um, I, I think, yeah, there, there's there's evidence on both sides. And I think wherever you stand on this topic, uh, whether you're against it or for it, I think we're all doing what we think is best. I think that parents that allow their kid to play a contact sport certainly aren't putting their their kids in harm's way on purpose. And I think that 
Uh, parents should not be punished or or believe that they're taking away an opportunity if they believe that it isn't safe because the reality is there is evidence of both on each side of that coin. There are people that have played contact sports for many years and have had no problems. And there are people that have suffered concussions and have been it's been traced back to uh, to really cause them some harm. So um, wherever you stand on it, Mario is certainly passionate about his stance on it. And I know that there's people passionate about the other side, but it was just interesting to get a different uh, perspective and someone who, quite frankly, has every reason to be against it and what it took away from him. It robbed him of a longer NFL career, and uh, he's still very passionate allow, allowing and keeping the game uh, to continue to be played because as we get deeper and deeper in this, a point that I just made about everyone erring on the side of caution, do we get to that point of where the side of caution is not playing high school football or not playing uh, hockey because of the the possibility of being injured? And I think that we really need to measure the possibility over what it could mean in a positive sense in creating an opportunity for education. How many how many kids, how many athletes have played a high school sport and it allowed them to get an education at free or at a discounted rate? Um, are we willing to take that opportunity away from student athletes because we're worried about the potential that there could be a, an incident involving a concussion or any other injury for that matter. So really interesting stuff from Mayo. I appreciate him. Thanks to you for listening to this edition. We really uh, have had fun putting this together. We, I act like there's like a cast of millions doing this podcast. It's just me. It's uh, I'm just, just me and with my blanket tent right now because I don't have my uh, professional microphone set up in my studio. And I'm, I'm air quoting studio. But um, this has been a learning curve for me, too, because um, I'm a play-by-play guy and I'm a public address announcer first. And this is uh, giving me more of a platform to have an opinion and share that opinion publicly. And um, I think that I've almost struggled with that. And people that know me has to be rolling their eyes that I'm struggling having an opinion because I'm quite opinionated um, in person. But as far as in my professional world, uh, that that's a little bit different. Uh, when I'm doing play by play, I'm I'm calling what I'm seeing, and I'm I'm really really giving an opinion. I kind of leave that to the color analyst. A lot of the times they have experienced coaching or playing. I don't. Um, I mean, playing at a very youthful level. So uh, I tend to allow and let the opinions of my color analyst speak. And then as a public address announcer. There is no room for an opinion. You are literally just um, saying factual information and and sharing that with a, an audience. So uh, to, to be doing this podcast takes me kind of out of my uh, comfort level of this profession, but um, I've had fun doing it. Really have appreciated all the guests that have already joined me and are to join me. Uh, coming up on the next edition, it will be an Olympic gold medalist will join me. I'm going to just kind of leave it there. She has Pittsburgh roots. She has Pittsburgh roots. She'll be the first uh, woman to join me on the Matt Fargo show. And I'm really excited to to dive into some Pittsburgh talk, some high school talk. And obviously, uh, there's not going to be really a better person to talk to 
about the Olympics not happening this year and being postponed to 2021. We'll get her thoughts on that. And that's how I'm going to leave you. Hopefully you'll tune into the next one. Thanks for listening to this one. Stay safe out there. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Matt Fargo Show.